welcome to First Pitches, where famous founders break down the very first version of their pitch so you can master yours. I'm Lolita Taub, co-founder and general partner at the Community Fund. And I'm Eric Bond, co-founder and general partner at Hustle Fund. Lolita, ready for some real talk with these founders? Sure, let's do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I'd like to introduce you to a team that every founder should know about. It's GS Futures. GS Futures is a new multi-stage VC fund that launched just this year, investing into teams at early seed all the way through Series D. This team spun off from the GS Group in Korea, a legendary enterprise representing assets in retail, consumer, energy, and much more. GS Futures is actively seeking and investing into great hustlers. Go to their website right now, gsfutures.vc, and tell them what you're up to. I think you'll be excited to partner with them. Berkland is the recognized leader in outsourced CFO, tax, and accounting services for startups at the emerging and growth stages. As a sponsor of First Pitches, Berkland would like to offer listeners a free finance consultation. Berkland also offers important tools on its website, a financial controls matrix, Finance 101 for Startups, Contingency Toolkits, Tax and Marketing Calculators, and other critical resources for scaling a company. Visit berklandassociates.com slash hustle. Hey there, listeners. Hung Pham here, executive producer of First Pitches. On this episode, Eric, Lolita, and I debrief our interview with last week's special guest's founder and share our thoughts, insights, and reactions. If you haven't heard last week's interview yet, I highly recommend you do so. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Lolita, Eric, and Hung again. So we just wrapped up a great conversation with Cindy Gallup, the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. Wow, what an intense conversation. And uh, Hung, this one must have been a really fun one for you as a producer to research, right? Because I imagine you have to check out the website, Maybe you should check out some other categories of those in the lovemaking or porn space. Uh, but <clears throat> what kinds of things were surprising for you from today's conversation? Uh, it was definitely fun. Um, I think I, I uh, made a comment to Cindy when, when we were sharing emails um, about the research that it was almost like reading a really good novel. Mm. Um, and so for me, I, I did know about Cindy from before. I, I have come across her work and just diving into it and just really learning about the challenges around trying to raise money. Um, nothing surprising, but again, just seeing how steadfast she was in her mission, it just shows how much of a uh, ambitious and, and just very dynamic personality she is. Um, I think for me, it was a surprising how everything came about as a surprise. I, I think hearing that during the interview was kind of cool, actually, where she kind of half-jokingly submitted the her talk as a as kind of a joke and and really it, it turning into a, a her her mission now was um, really cool and i just feel like with with cindy it's very inspirational uh, especially for me i really wish we had the opportunity to ask her about the future of sex ed i think one of the parking lot questions we did in our research that we didn't get a chance to to go through was is there an angle, um, education angle here for young kids? And I really wish we could have gotten to that. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just curious to see if that's maybe a vertical that Make Love Not Porn would 
dive in or, or you know dabble into in the future but um that's something I'm, i wish we would have we asked and maybe that's something i'll ask her offline yeah you know actually i love that point and i wish we had more time with her because she touched on so many things from rape culture to sex ed to health things to um what it's like to be an underestimated founder to you know she she's encountered almost every single challenge right and and it was just fascinating to see how one concept about making love at the end of the day and and having her share her story and what she's about is really about changing the way people make love was absolutely fascinating because you know i think when people hear what she does people attach themselves to the porn side um but she really is talking about self love she is really talking about being genuine authentic appreciating what's real about who you are embracing it not trying to fit into a box and in fact creating a space where you could just be you in the most intimate way possible sex you know it's she had a really incredible um comment i think during the interview where she talked about how when it comes to talking about sex and inviting people onto the platform more so than not people want to do it right like they're excited to actually talk about sex they're actually excited to contribute uh you know filming of their the, their partner themselves to the to platform at least in theory uh and it's almost reciprocally inverse to investors being willing to give her capital, right? Just in terms of like the product market fit in terms of interest of participation into her platform versus participation from the investor end. Um, I, I don't know if I have like a question other than just like, I found that to be a really fascinating comment about how she never had a problem of the content side of things. And, and as an investor and one that's frankly like pretty prudish too, Right, like I'm, I'm kind of puritanical, I suppose, in terms of my upbringing. Like that was a, that was sort of an assumption that came into, which is like, really? You know, I think, well, yeah, sort of like you, you know, how, you thought how, that people would be like, no, I don't want to do this, really. Well, I think there's an audience for sure of makers who would be into this, but I think what I came away f- from t- that interview realizing was how broad the spectrum of people are who are willing to participate, uh, because like. I, I don't know, like there's there's a lot like psychologically probably going wrong with me, sure. But like, I'm a little bit prudent, like nervous about my body, <laughs> how I look, you know, taking my shirt off and all that stuff. Uh, but it's, I, I, I think I came away convinced. And it doesn't seem like it was too surprising for you, Lolita, when she made that comment. No, I actually, I, I enjoyed when you reacted to what she was saying with, maybe I'll tell my wife about it and we could do it. Oh, that and was I, before the interview. Yeah. I, and, oh, oh, was it before? Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, I love that you said, but I think you mentioned it during the interview about doing a video yourself. And I just, I think you mentioned it twice, in fact. And, and I, what I, what I loved about that was I know you were joking. But you know that in every joke, there's some truth or curiosity to it. And I just love seeing that because you just you just said it. You were like, yeah, I'm kind of a prude, but I kind of want to do it. Maybe I'll wear a mask. Yes. You know what? Yes, you did say it because she said you could wear a mask. It's fine. You know, once she did say that you could pixelate your face and kind of 
consider your identity if you want to go down that route. It did actually make me much more interested uh, because I love my wife, you know, like, and I, I love everything about her. Right. So uh, yeah. If she, and like the idea of filming someone <laughs> that you love is kind of hot too. Uh, and I guess I'm sort of like talking myself off the ledge there. Right. I'm just like, uh, not, by the way, hustle fun, by the way, I, I do not speak for the rest of my partners or like our, our perspective here, but like, yeah, I mean like this, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. For sure. Like curiosity has definitely been key for me. I, I, I think so too. I mean, I was, because, you know, I, I grew up never watching porn and, and, and I think the instant that I did watch porn, it was very, um, animalistic and it was actually by accident. I remember I was in elementary, not, not elementary school, middle school. And one of my friends came over and we still had cassettes players that's what we had. What we you mean them, those right? VHS? VCRs. VCRs. Yeah, VCRs. yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. we call VHS. Yes. yes I don't yes, even yes. know what they were called anymore. But it was she came. She came to my house with her, the VHS, and she's like, "I have to show you something." And I had a TV in my bedroom, and she's like, "We have to lock the door." So we locked the door, and she puts us in, and I'm like, "What am I watching?" And I've never seen a man naked, so I'm like, "What is that?" thing and like what is happening and then I was taught that that was something I, I should never look at and never never um that it was dirty sinful hmm. the devil was gonna take me you know these kinds of things and and then later as as I grew older I, I actually was a victim of rape and and when Cindy talks about how pornography teaches people to look at sex and what's acceptable in a certain way, I think about my rape experience and I think this is because of that. And I didn't know what to do. And I felt ashamed that I was raped and that I couldn't tell anybody about it. And if people were just taught how to have sex in a respectable way and, and not to shame women um, when things like this do happen and to say, hey, that's not cool, I, I, I can only imagine that that trauma could have been lessened um, and that I didn't have to carry this weight all by myself and shame for so long. And that's really a lot of what, what Cindy and what she's talking about made me think about because it, that's reality. And for a long time, I didn't talk about it. And now I'm sharing it with you guys. And you might be like, oh, my goodness. Um, but I try to share it more often because- wow. It's not cool. I I'm so sick to my stomach right now. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is the first time that we've ever discussed this, Lolita. Uh, and I, I imagine this puts a very different lens on the conversation that I didn't even think about before when we came into this, right? Of just you. I mean, there's there's your identified connection, right? Which is like first exposure to sex is often quite traumatic, actually. Uh, Hong and I and you, I think, might have, like, in preparation of the show, even talked about, like, our moments of, like, seeing porn for the first time. And it was, frankly, traumatic, right? But this, like, you're applying this to, like, a direct connection of what happened later to you in just life. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, I mean, what were you thinking then when you're listening to, I, I, I don't really have a clear question behind this because I'm kind of baffled, frankly. It's just, uh, 
you know, were you nervous about this conversation with Cindy, just like in revisiting some of these experiences? Um, no, not at all. I, I think I, I've, I've had enough therapy conversations, but for a while, I mean, this happened to me in, in high school wow. and I grew up in a very conservative household. I was in boarding school and I didn't tell anyone for a long time because again, this would have been shameful because honestly, if something like this happens, most of society will say, what did you do? What did oh, yeah. you cause? Right. How did right. you make that happen? And and so I didn't I did not want to deal with that. And and I totally see how rape culture how how much of a rape culture we have and we live in. And porn doesn't help at all. And I that's no. that's why I despise sex. I mean not sex, porn. Um I like I like sex. Sex is good. Um but I don't like porn because I have a gut reaction to what I believe is the reason why I had the experience I did. Wow. That was the first uh, sexual experience I had. And it was terrifying and it was, it was terrible. I was crying. I, 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 it was, it was awful and not to be able to tell anybody for so long because I need to be a good girl and a good young lady and, what will people think? Exactly what Cindy was saying about investors. And I was thinking that just in my own little human, you know, young girl head and trying yeah. to make peace with it with nobody there for me. And if there's more people talking about it out, out loud about what sex should be or shouldn't be and what's acceptable, what's not, and having more education, I think you can prevent instances like rape and other things really too. Wow. Look, it happened and it just, to me, has opened my eyes. So many of, so much of what we talk about, you know, so much of what I do is about underestimation and mm. underrepresented founders and underestimated people and, and, and what happens in the shadows of what, when you are underestimated, when you aren't able to speak, yeah. to use your voice, to talk about the pain that you go through. And here's a woman who is, advocating for something that's really positive that isn't getting funded. Although, the, I mean, the porn industry, how big is that? I don't know the number, but it's pretty massive. Isn't that like the I'm oldest, sure like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and, but, but you can't, you can't fund, someone can fund the porn, nasty, dirty, animalistic rape thing, but no one can fund something that's just like teaching people that this is actually how it is normally. It's okay to have hair. That's yeah. another thing. Actually, that caught my attention on her website. So when I was dating, I remember one time this guy in college was like, Lolita, you're, you have like such a huge bush. You should totally <laughs> wax that thing. And I was just like, what? Should I? Am I really? I mean, I'm Mexican, so I do grow a lot of hair. <laughs> But, and so I felt really self-conscious. And so I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I did it. I did it. I, I had a Brazilian wax. It was the most painful experience of my life. And I was thinking, why do women do this? And at the time I was like, oh, I look so sexy because I look like a young girl that doesn't have hair. And then, and then the next time, you know, I, I think the, the next time I was like, no, this is really fucking painful. I'm not doing this shit again. And the guy's like, oh, I guess you haven't gone for your Brazilian hair wax or, or whatever Brazilian waxing, yeah. whatever thing. And I was just like, yeah, I haven't. And if you want me to, you're going to come with me and you're going to get one too. And if you're good with that, I'll do it. If you're not, 
I don't want a word anymore. I am going to be hairy down there because that's what happens. And that's what a grown woman looks like. <laughs> you know, I, I love this story, by the way. That we're was a have, good reply. We're going to have some pretty good uh, sound bites, by the way, Hung, uh, coming out of today's <laughs> session and, and uh, Cindy's too. You know, actually on this vein, there is a, I, I felt like we could have had a lot of discussion, Lolita and Hung, at the very end. When I sort of asked my question, like, why don't you frame this as like a healthcare thing? You know, like, so for me as like an investor, uh, you know, one of the things I try to do when I t- talk to my founders is like craft their story in a way that will unblock their next fundraise, because that's, that's often like one of the top questions. And I realize that there's a difference between unblocking your fundraise and actually, uh, you know, operating your business because the framing is often different. It doesn't have to be the same thing. Yeah. And she in her awesome, polite way, and then Lolita too, right after <laughs> said like, no, like, fuck that. I mean, why, why should I change myself? I'm going to own what this is. And I, uh, and, and she tied this actually. And Lolita, you had a great conversation with her about this too, on some of the underestimated founder themes too, right? It's just like, we're not going to like whiten ourselves. We're not going to, you know, uh, put this in like a little soft, fluffy basket. That's good for VCs only just because that's the thing to do. Um, I mean, I, I feel like there's, you had more that you're about to say before we ran out of time, Lolita. I, I wanted to pose this to you actually to see uh, uh, what else was in your mind in terms of follow-up questions or other comments from that. Well, I actually wanted to hear your your follow-up to, <laughs> I mean, your response, because I, it looked like you were also like, oh, okay. Uh, I was just trying to help, but I can see that. And I feel like you were really sensitive to it, but I'm really curious uh, to hear what your reaction was. I mean, would you still... Are you still uh, in the position of yeah, but you should still probably change it to health, health tech, um, and and reposition it? Um, or are you thinking mm, maybe there's something here where she's yeah. she's created? I mean, she said she she coined. I did not know this, but it's apparently she coined the toy the the she coined the term um, sex tech. So. What what's your what's your feel there? Like, did you change your mind, or are you still pretty steadfast on your perspective? It's a it's making me think a lot. I think there's sort of two veins of thought. The first is human to human, and like that's so freaking badass that uh, there are principles that you are sitting with that are immovable, right? Like she believes that her role in this world is my interpretation is to stop making this a taboo thing that mm-hmm. it's a great business, it's actually good for society in many ways. Uh, and, you know, sh- she wants to be, I think, very aligned to her principles there. That's one thing. The, but on the other hand, though, just, um, you know, I, uh, I view funding as life, a lifeline, right? And I do think that there are some cases where uh, the ends justify the means, now, I don't mean that to say this callously to justify things in history or anything like that, but there are moments where I can see like reframing that will just unblock funding mm-hmm. will allow you to just get back to work. And, uh, and this is something that I actually still stand by when I'm coaching teams around their story and so forth. It's just like highlight these things that I think uh, will help you unblock your next capital raise versus, uh, versus and, uh, other aspects of your stories perhaps. And, but with the full caveat again, that fundraising is just one aim and it's a necessary one in our line of work as venture capitalists and angel investors too. But it, I also concede again that uh, 
it's not necessarily related to the building of the business itself, how you frame it with customers, run your acquisition, hire mm. your people. Uh, so those are kinds of things that I'm sort of struggling with right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, like if, if I were to help her to frame this to, as a healthcare thing and then unblock, you know, a couple more million bucks, could that get her vision sooner to the market? You know, if she has like 10 million bucks uh, behind her, probably. But uh, maybe that's not her journey, right? She, she really seems to be quite intentional in how she is trying to build this business, not just the business itself, but how she's also yeah. raising from the backers. So I, I totally respect that. Yeah. And, and so to that, I would say I, I, I constantly think about whether founders should take money from venture capitalists or not, because you're right. There are certain things that will ring well with traditional VC and or what the ecosystem thinks is acceptable. And I love that she called out and I, I wanted to highlight, I, I didn't have an opportunity to, but to highlight that her her out was an angel and it is going slower yep. than she that it needs to be, but it's an angel, not a VC, and that's okay. And the thing is that what I like to promote in founders is that you're giving up a lot of your life to build something. So you better be happy about how you're doing it because otherwise, what are you doing? Just sacrificing your life to please some white guy in a VC fund that thinks that, you know, your market doesn't exist because he's not in it. I, I you know, I just, I just disagree with that. And, and, you know, I want to change that. That's why I want more investors to come from diverse backgrounds because then you'll get it. You have a, a VC marketplace that'll get it. Yeah. To fit the current status quo. Sure. Your, your strategy probably works, but um, would I want her to do it? No. Cause it's not just about you know, I don't know, bending again, it's, I'll tell you a st another story, Eric and, and hung. I don't think I've told you guys this, but for a long time, I try to be a white man. Did I tell you this story? Uh, no, you must I haven't con heard it. please continue. Okay. So, I mean, so following the track of Eric, right? Like, well, you know, the, the ends justify the means and the means justify the ends, whatever. I was thinking, you know what? I know I just need to fit in. I need to be like a white person. I need to have straight hair. I need to not wear my gold hoops. I need to not wear red lipstick or say ethnic things, or I need to be really white. And that is how I'm going to be accepted. That's how I'm gonna have opportunities to be successful in the world. And that's how I got into corporate. And that's how I did okay. But I always felt, felt not all there because I wasn't, I was code switching. I would be as white as I could be and as white as I could resemble like a white man that I worked with, right? I've always been in tech, white middle-aged guy, like just trying to resemble the white middle-aged guy. Um, and then I would come home and be like, oh, where are the tamales? Where are the tortillas? Mommy, like, what are you, like, what's the chisme? What, what did you watch on the soap opera? You know, and, and I just got tired of it. It's heavy. It's it's exhausting. And all for what? For some white guy to not give a shit about me? What, when did this change? When did you stop giving a fuck uh, about this? Like, was I, there like an inflection point? I think that my, yeah, there definitely was. And, and maybe I don't want to share exactly what happened. But let, me, let, but let me just tell you that I had an experience at a, at a corporation with 
a white man manager who really didn't give a shit about me and put my life in a very interesting, precarious situation. And, and I was just like, why am I, why am I putting myself through this? Because this is the only way I'm going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know what? No, my dad did not cross the border and go through a sewer tunnel and to bring us into this world of having a better life for their kids so that I could just pretend to be a white guy. It's interesting. Um, thank I you want, for sharing this. I, I, I want to make it as Lolita. As Lolita, who comes from immigrant family with my story, it's not perfect. It's not privileged. It is messed up, and I've made a lot of mistakes. But I want to be myself when I show up. I, I don't want to pretend. And if that means that things are slower, I don't get everything I want the way I want it right now because of the system is literally created to keep me out. Fuck it. I think there's a difference though between so but for by the way, thank you for sharing this. We're we're getting very deep, by the way, today into uh, a therapy session <laughs> with uh with our with actually all three of us uh, at this point. But these are really incredible insights you're you're courageously sharing, Lolita. I want to recognize that. Um but I mean you you're also a very, very active angel. We've done a bunch of deals together, great pitch coach, right? For me, I think I'm not advocating presenting yourself as someone that you're not, right? Because that seems just wrong to ask a human to do that. But you and I, I think, are in positions when we're reviewing pitch decks or talking about storytelling of like, you know, highlighting what we know gets funded to unblock our teams. Yeah. There, there seems to be, I think, an important nuance here that we're not aligning on. Yeah. And, and, and I, th I think I, I get what you're saying, like in a general perspective, like, hey, highlight this versus this metric, maybe talk about this, those kind of functional business things. That's one thing. Yeah. But I think when, when your business is an extension of who you are, what you are doing, it's almost like saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't be who you are. But every startup founder, I think, like when you're looking at their business, you're looking at them too, right? I mean, like uh, I went through a very unhealthy phase in my 20s where my entire self-worth was aligned to what my business, how, my, how well my business was doing. I had very poor tools in terms of understanding self-care, security of myself. So when things are going great in my business, I was doing great. When things are going poorly, which is most of the times, uh, I was doing really poorly. I, I, I just have really pushed back on that though, which is just like, every, I think that business is personal, especially when you started it. Well, and I'm agreeing with that, which is why if your heart is in something, um, you, you may just be like, you know, and I can tell you, uh, there have been, I mean, Arlen has talked about not taking specific money for Arlen Hamilton. Yeah. yeah Arlen Hamilton, not taking money from people because of out of just, it's not the right people to take it from. Yep. And, and, and We've look, if you're a hundred percent opportunistic, then yeah, like you mold, you go bend backwards and forwards and it may work out or it may not. But when you, when you separate business and who you are as a human, I think for me, I personally promote being yourself and putting yourself over all of these other things because it's already really heavy and messed up what you have to deal with to add on 
um, you know, he, her, and, and she was really at, like, Cindy was really adamant about, Hey, I'm not going to change this. This is what it is. I coined sex, sex tech. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to die with it. And I'm just like more power to you. And I don't care if v- traditional VC say no, because there's a whole realm of women who are now investing in sex tech, looking at femtech and saying, yeah, this stuff really matters. And I want products that help me. And, and so I, I think this is made not for the status quo. And exactly what Cindy said, I'm not here for the status quo. So if you are, cool, don't invest in me. I'm not here for the status quo. Um, I think some a place where we can align, though, Lolita, on this topic, too, and I think we actually, frankly, are very aligned, uh, is that uh, it's very easy, at least for me, in my own perspective, to spot someone who's sort of faking it too much, right? That's like trying to present an inauthentic view of themselves to please me and in, in, in their interpretation of what they think an investor or an angel investor wants to hear. Um, and that is like a huge turnoff. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's the most exciting founders that I've had a chance to work with are in the vein of Cindy. It's just like good news. There is this area of the world that needs to be changed. I am the right person to change it. And let me bring you on in this journey and show you how it can happen. Yep. Yep. Right. Those are the ones that are just like, this is so amazing. They're like, I'm getting, be, I'm getting paid to be educated, you know, uh, in this incredible adventure. Right. And, and there's a very common, I think, I like this term, uh, uh, Arlen, and you actually taught me this in Arlen Hamilton, and you taught me this, uh, which is like the through line. She has the, when we started our show, uh, First Pitch, she's like, what's the through line across First Pitch? It's yeah. like, what's that? It's like, what's that? It's like the recurring motif. And it's really that it comes down to authenticity. It's just like the, the ones, the founders who come off and pitch so authentically about this is who I am, this is what we're doing. Uh, along the lines of what you do, Lolita, every day in your work, along the lines of what you do, Hung, as well, and our best founders. I mean, that that's the most exciting people to surround yourselves with. Um, and it was just a good reminder of that, frankly, in this show uh, that we just had. I'm just really sad that you and Hung have not shared any interesting stories today about yourselves. Well, I'll, I'll share one, Lolita. Yeah, and then um, I'll share one after Hung too. Sure. So it yeah, actually, I, 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 shared, I shared like three major stories of my life, and you guys yeah. are like, "Oh, very nice, Lolita. Let's move on to something very well, practical." It's yeah. You, yeah okay. I mean, we we owe you that. Come, go ahead, Hung. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you were telling about how how you were um, trying to change it to a, a white male, and it brought it brought back an incident I had with Culture Summit. Um, Can you explain what Culture Summit is? Yeah, so Culture Summit is a conference I founded uh, about six years ago, and we bring together experts and speakers and thought leaders to change and and build workplace culture transformation. And so a couple years ago, I used to sign my emails that I would send to the community um, was just my name, Hung Fam. And then I noticed people who also um, run events or or, when when they send up promotional emails, they would send it as, for example, Eric at Hustle Fund. And then so I switched it. I thought, okay, maybe that's a good way to get, um, if people don't recognize my name, I would want them to at least see that it's coming from uh, the company. So I would change yeah. it I changed it to Hung at Culture Summit for a, a, a limited time. And then one day I got an email. So I sent out um, an email about an upcoming event and I got a reply back from a gentleman. He was older white male. And he said, you know, you ought to think about changing um, 
the name, the, the from name of, of this email. And like my initial reaction was like, like F you, like who are you to tell me, you know, to change my name? But then I thought the other part of my brain was like, well, what if it affects like who opens your emails? What if it affects your open rates? And then now you're not selling tickets and that affects the business. Um, so that just brought back a lot of memories when you shared that Lolita with that one incident. And I wish, mm. I wish I would have told him off. I just blocked them. I didn't really engage with them, but I kind of wish I told him off at that time. So what did you do? What did you do after? Uh, so I just changed the culture summit. I took my name off. Um, I still don't know if that's the right decision. I think at that time I just, I was worried more about, uh, what if it affects, you know, people who open the emails and will they read it or not? Um, but I still don't know if I've made the right decision or not. Oh no, I want to give you a hug. That's why I get culture summit emails and I'm like, who, why, why did I sign up for a summit? No, you know what, Hung? I, and, and that's the thing, right? Like that is what our society sometimes makes us go to and it makes us ask and question who we are. I mean, to you, it's just like your name and that, that breaks my heart. And, and, you know, I support you however you want to do your email, but your name is perfect. And I would love to get emails with your name on them um, or from culture summit, whatever it is, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's where, yeah, maybe, and, and I even said it right with Cindy, like sometimes people are like, let me just change your whole name. Cause I can't pronounce it. And and it just, it's like death by paper cuts. And I, I, I personally, there's no money that can buy my, my, my integrity, my dignity. No, it's not for sale. I, I was confused and thought I needed to do what I needed to do to produce for my family, especially when I became a matriarch and had to be the head and sustain a family of four. Um, I was even more sensitive because I, I was like, what's the risk? And now I'm just like, whatever, because we just got to show up with our names. Who cares if everyone's confused by Lolita and says their stupid ass question about whether I was named after the Russian movie or Russian novel movie for most people, because apparently people don't read, but novel. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, no, come on, guys. And like, I'm just saying, Hung, I love your name. Thank you. Thank you. I like your name too, Hung. <laughs> Um, is it my term now? Do I have to go? Yeah, yeah I probably should, right? You don't uh, have to if you don't want to, Eric. This is an authentic <laughs> safe space. And by the way, by the way, I like, I really, I know I've shared a lot and you guys don't have to. I don't want to make you feel like you need to. I just share it because I'm tired of not, like people don't share this stuff and it happens. Like we all have messed up shit that has happened to us. And and whatever you want to keep hung or not, or you guys want to edit out, I'm okay with that. So even if you share something, Eric, and you're like, I really don't want to put that out there because I'm concerned about this and that, that's cool too. No, uh, first of all, I'm really grateful, Lolita, that you're sharing because um, people, I, I think I'm, the older I get, the more I'm appreciating what feeling seen feels like, right? And And this is one of the reasons why I think the three of us were so excited to get to work together is we have a really different set of shared experiences that we're bringing. Right. Um, and I hope that as the listeners are listening to your story or Hung's or mine, you know, they have moments where they're feeling seen too. Um, and especially with the guests, our incredible guests, right. Who are sharing their incredible journeys too. So 
I, I, I think, I think like I'm only grateful when I get to surround myself with people who are willing to, um, you know, open up their hearts and give it to me and give it to other folks. And, uh, it's, it's brave and awesome and makes you feel seen. Um, and I do have a story. So, uh, I don't know how dramatic it is, but you know, I am actually the beneficiary of whitening very much. So, so, uh, the Bond family in Korea is a relatively small line. So every Bond that you meet that's Korean is related. Um, there's a lot of Kims out there and, and so forth. They're a little bit different, right? My wife's a Kim, but there's different Kims. But like with Bonds, we're all related. And I have some family, famous family members too. So like uh, Ban Ki-moon, the former UN Secretary General, he's my uncle. And, but like everyone spells it Ban, bon, B-A-N, generally when they come to the United States kind of like ban. So my dad, when he immigrated here after he served in the Vietnam War uh, on the American warship, uh, he immigrated with my mom to Michigan. And when they arrived, he actually anglicized the spelling of it, or maybe Germanicized is the right one, to B-A-H-N, Bon, right? Like Audubon. And the thinking behind his why he did it was really prescient i thought he said i'm going to be entering a society that's dominated by white people and white peers i'm going to be the only korean doctor in this hospital system so maybe there's going to be advantage for myself as well as for my children if the initial presumption that people have when they see my name is that a german doctor is coming to visit them right or a german kid is applying for college and I have to say, I think it has actually brought advantage to my life. And the data points I have around that are things like, uh, well, on applications, uh, yeah, it looks like a, a white name. When I went to, I remember, I didn't go to Harvard, but I got a, a Harvard interview. <laughs> when I came to like the Harvard <laughs> Club, Michigan or something like that, or Chicago to do my interview, the guy was yeah. like utterly confused. Like, are you adopted? It's like, no. no. I'm not like that was like one Wait, of the did first. he really ask you that? Yeah. He's like, I was expecting like a six foot tall, like white kid or something like that. He literally said that to me. Wow. Thanks a lot, Harvard. Uh, so, yeah, but there's been like those kinds of micro moments across the life where just people were like surprised. I was just like, Oh, you, you're not like what I expected. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I were to sort of accumulate those incremental moments, I think no doubt they fed into the privilege that I was able to enjoy to some degree. I mean, I'm already privileged. I mean, I'm an Asian man with good family, good education, right? Like that, like good family and all that stuff, right? So it's already is a lottery ticket and here, even here in the United States. Um, but the name part of it, you know, I was really proud of for quite some time because it sounded white. Yeah. And now, you know, as I'm older, I'm not not proud of my name. You know, I'm Eric Bond and this is who I am. Yeah. But uh, I realize that the the incentive or the reason for why my dad decided to do it while I was out of, it was out of love, I think is in some form an original sin too, right? So this is just going to be a conversation I have with my kids uh, about like the meaning of our name. And I, it's a bit of a toss up even in my mind in terms of like where I index in terms of gratitude or just resentment. 
but generally I love who I am. So I try to center myself. No, I mean, I think it's wonderful, but it breaks my heart to hear both of your stories, right? Because this is, this is a thread of, of what happens and whether you benefit from it or not, it doesn't feel all that great. It just doesn't. I'll tell you, like I benefited from being white and buying J crew stuff and Burberry or whatever the hell, like the white kids were wearing, because that's what would make me look cool with white people. Um, but it doesn't feel good. It's like you're, you're there, but it's not really a hundred percent, at least for me, I don't want to project onto you guys, but it makes me sad to hear both of your stories. And, and I'm sorry that this is what society has done to us. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible though, I guess from the through line, uh, comment to just, uh, you know, this opened up a big can of worms of this topic exactly when we're listening to Cindy, right? Just how a sex tech founder is, um, serving as an incredible ally and that there's actually intersections of race and gender, um, a whole variety of, uh, of different vectors that I didn't, I think, appreciate before today's interview. Uh, that that I guess we're discussing today, right? Um, Lolita Hong, did you guys have any closing thoughts as we wrap up our debrief of the interview with Cindy Galp, founder of Make Love, Not Porn? I just have to say I'm so grateful that Cindy came on, shared her pitch, her vision, her passion, and connected with us as human beings and left us with such a beautiful gift of reflection and um and 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 allowing us some space for us to open up about our experiences with a world that doesn't necessarily 100% accept us as we are um just as she encounters that with with make love not porn in yeah. in her startup yeah what about you hung um i i just second what lolita said we're grateful for these amazing guests and i'm really appreciative that in, in this journey with this project, we get a chance to open up and share with each other. And a lot of it has to do with these stories that, you know, we bring the guests on to tell. And, and when we reflect on our own stories, it's just a great bonding experience. Uh, a huge thank you also to Lolita for landing Cindy in the show that we did um, earlier today. And I agree with all those sentiments. And Hung, I just want to add to what you said is uh, in the sausage making process of building this show, you know, in trying to expose vulnerability, uh, we quickly realized that the way that we're going to draw vulnerability from our guests is by being vulnerable ourselves. And it's been a, a really wonderful experience working with these two because I think we each have a very different way of operating, of thinking about the world, how we're trying to uh, make our own impact. And it's, I think there's a period in my life where, you know, in my first company, I wanted everyone to sort of think like me, do what I do, clone Eric you know, and we just operate, but you realize quickly that doesn't scale and turns into toxicity pretty quickly. Uh, but in this world where we're building together this project together, it's just, um, it's such a celebration to see where we're intersecting and where we don't. Because, um, I mean, I think we all have underlying love for each other and what we're trying to do uh, with this ecosystem. So I'm so grateful. And yeah, this conversation with Cindy, I couldn't have anticipated it would yield this kind of uh, introspection, but it has. So Cindy Gallup, if you're listening to this as well, uh, we're so grateful that you're able to share your journey with us. Yeah, thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to our lives. Thank you, Cindy. All right.
So I guess that wraps it. Thank you for listening to today's debrief of our interview with Cindy Gallup, the founder of Make Love Not Porn. Check out makelovenotporn.tv and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to First Pitches. For show notes and more, visit our website, firstpitches.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. First Pitches is produced and edited by Hung Pham. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate our show and leave us a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 21,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash first pitches. Frank Rimmerman is a public accounting firm whose history is closely intertwined with that of Silicon Valley. With humble beginnings similar to so many startups, Frank Rimmerman was formed with a desire to serve the entrepreneurial and venture communities of the Valley, supporting those who think outside the box. This is what the Frank Rimmerman team told us at first pitches. Even we agree accounting work can be boring. That's why we chose to work with some of the most innovative and creative people, people who are changing the world around us every day. Their excitement fuels our passion and determination to grow and serve this special community. Frank Rimmerman is the entrepreneurial CPA firm. Check them out at frankrimmerman.com slash startup services.